0: Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Russia puts its armed forces on alert. The U.S. warns against intervention and offers aid. And new U.S. home sales rise to a five-year high. Here in Hong Kong, former Mingbao editor Kevin Lau is fighting for his life after being knifed in Sai Wan Ho. And the financial secretary sees the fastest growth this year in the past three. Also, in some other news, in business news, Baidu raises its revenue forecast dramatically, and Qantas cut some 5,000 jobs. And to get us started, uh, something of a playful tease.
1: We've got ports that aren't ready for the next
2: generation of supertankers. We've got more than 100,000 bridges that are old enough to qualify for Medicare.
0: So that's a joke, the president being funny, meaning more than 65 years old. And let's do this first before we get to our guest this morning. President Obama is calling on Congress to overhaul corporate and business taxes as a way to pay for a transportation bill. The bill is for four years and totals some $302 billion U.S. dollars to repair and replace roads, bridges, and tunnels. And today I'm here to launch a new competition, for 21st century infrastructure and the jobs that come with
2: it because any opportunity agenda begins with creating more good jobs and one of the fastest and best ways to create good jobs is by rebuilding america's infrastructure our roads our bridges our rails our ports our airports our schools our power grids we've got a lot
3: of work to do out there and we've got to put folks to work
0: Okay, so that's one of the stories that uh, I would have run lower down, but I just liked the way the, president's got, the president has got his cadence going on that. So let's move on to what we'll be doing on this program today. We'll be looking at the budget with Paul Ho from CPA Australia. Also, the growth in online commerce in China has gone supersonic. We'll look at how you can get up into the jet stream with it and take advantage of this. We'll have James Roy from China Market Research Group on the program and Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consult will help us understand the complexities of today's markets. Our top story, Russia has ordered military exercises on Ukraine's doorstep. The defense ministry says 150,000 troops have been put on high alert. And the United States has offered to Ukraine a $1 billion loan. Meantime, in Kiev, the BBC's Steve Rosenberg went out to the former president's mansion. When Viktor Yanukovych fled his luxury estate... There were secrets he wanted destroyed. Documents were disposed of in a reservoir behind his residence, but they didn't disappear. Hours later, a team of divers fished them out, and now they're being sorted up at his mansion. A sign on the door says, ''Investigation ongoing. Do not disturb.'' But we're expected. The door opens, and we're allowed inside. A team of local journalists and archivists have locked themselves away here in the guest house of the presidential residence to sift through the 50,000
1: documents they salvaged from the water.
0: Meantime, potential ministers in Ukraine's new interim government have been introduced to crowds out at uh, Independence Square in Kiev. They include a tortured protester, an actor and a far right leader. The man set to become the next prime minister, Arsene Yatsenyuk, said the country is on the brink of disaster. He said it would be necessary for the new government to take some extremely unpopular steps because of Ukraine's desperate financial plight.
1: We are to undertake extremely unpopular steps. As the previous government and previous president were so corrupted that country is in a desperate financial plight. We are on the brink of the disaster. And this is the government of political suiciders.
0: So welcome to help. <laughs> Well, despite the tensions, U.S. stocks were a little changed overnight. The S&P 500 was up a little less than one point at 1845. The Dow Jones Industrial Average added 18 points to 16,198. Earnings have been beating analysts' uh, projections some 70% of the time. Analysts estimate that earnings grew by 8.6% in the fourth quarter of 2013. There was some good economic data, data showing that sales of new homes increased nine. percent 0.6% in January. Here's briefly how Asian markets are moving. The Nikkei down 50 points at 14,920. In Australia, the ASX 200 is down 15 points at 5431, and we see some modestly lighter numbers in Seoul as well. We say a big good morning now to Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Brian. So so lots to look at. Uh, first, beginning with Ukraine, uh, with those troops being put on alert by the, by the Russians and with the U.S. Um, ordering against or at least imploring against any kind of intervention, there's a lot of tension there, but it doesn't seem to be spreading over too much into global markets. So we did not see uh, a lot of um, uh, safe haven buying overnight.
1: No, so so far, I think the the market reaction has been sort of fairly muted. But it does highlight the fact that around the world now we're seeing a lot of um, sort of political concerns arise in in a whole range of emerging markets, not just uh, not just Ukraine. Although Ukraine is the one that's at the, the forefront of the news um, at, at the moment. I suppose the concern will come if uh, if Putin has been relatively quiet so far about Ukraine starts to make some more um, bellicose statements and starts to give the impression. That maybe Russia might intervene in some way in in the Ukraine and particularly in the Crimea region, which has a 60 percent Russian population. How do you think this plays out in the coming weeks? Well, a lot depends upon Russia. Um, clearly Ukraine is in a is in a desperate financial situation its economy has imploded, its currency has collapsed, it desperately needs um, loans from the international community and there are signs that the international community will step in, the US has already um, given indications that it will make emergency loans to the Ukraine, we're sure the EU um, sort of will the key thing is what is going to be Russia's response to all of this because Russia has really wanted to create a sort of um, Euro-Asia sort of zone to sort of try and um, sort of compete with the EU sort of zone. And it's seen sort of Ukraine in particular as being a key part of that. And that's what's led to, um, you know, the, the protests and the violence that we've seen um, sort of recently. So, you know, a lot depends upon how Putin rea- rea- reacts over the next few days and what sort of signals um, he sends about, you know, what Russia's position is going to be on the Ukraine. So it's a big concern, particularly if it involves the superpowers, but the economy itself in Ukraine
0: is not very big. It's only about- about a quarter the size of Switzerland, right? So that's not something in itself that could upset global markets. However, if you look at the yield on the 10-year Treasury, uh, it did move down. and It has been moving down quite a bit, a little bit out of sync with the stock market. If you think that those two should be moving sort of in opposite directions, you've got uh, bonds going up, the yield dropping in the 10-year down to 2.67%. We're down, you know, a good 40 basis points from the top, yet <clears throat> stocks are at the top. So the stock market is sort of optimistic, whereas
1: the bond market is Mary. What? Yeah, I, I think there's conflicting sort of signals coming out. I mean, every piece of economic data at the moment that's coming out of the U.S. is being pored over to try and see, um, you know, whether were the last set of data in aberration, where we did see some weak numbers, and that was blamed on, you know, seasonal factors such as the weather. We had a good piece of data sort of last night, and and there is really confusion over how strong is you know the recovery in the in in the U.S. Is it starting to falter? Um, and, and, you know, we really need to see some further data um, to, to sort of um, push us one way or the other. So stocks and bonds are moving in sort of opposite directions at the moment, um, you know, to, to sort of reflect that conflicting data. Not to be too critical of you, but you've been very um, cautious of
0: late. You've been very nervous about things. And I guess you have to say you've been wrong. Yeah, um, sure. You know, markets are up at, at, at tops, maybe yes. not, not here in Hong Kong. Uh, The emerging markets even have started to pick up a little bit. They seem to be weathering the tapering. Even our financial secretary uh, John Zhang yesterday is predicting three to four percent growth. That's the strongest year in the past three, even with the taper looming. So, you know, it seems like people are kind of practically saying it's not so bad out there.
1: Yeah, I I think there's you know you're right. I mean, markets are you know performing very well. The U.S. is you know very very close to an all time high um, again. But we're only sort of two months into the taper. Um, I think, you know, what we have to see is, you know, if this continues by the end of the year, you know, um, QE is going to be almost completely withdrawn. And then we're going to have to start to see how can the market stand on their, you know, own two feet. I mean, QE was supposed to be, an exceptional um, response to emergency conditions that has gone on far, far longer than anyone ever envisaged. And we still haven't seen yet, you know, how well the financial markets will be able to deal with the withdrawal of that um, sort of stimulus. And, and that's particularly true for emerging markets where, you know, a lot of those um, sort of inflows have, have come from, from, from the taper. It's yeah. funny how the biggest worries are all kind of linked, aren't they? You've got the taper, you've got China
0: with its problems with uh, the shadow banking industry and the hot money that came in and what happens to that. And then, as you say, policy in the emerging markets and the effect on EM
1: by the taper, they're all interlinked. These are, are very, very much linked. And, you know, we also have Japan. I mean, mm. Japan has its own, you know, huge stimulus going on um, at the moment as well. And we have a sort of a currency devaluation now starting to appear in China. And you wonder if is this maybe some sort of beggar-thy-neighbour policy where the PBOC is trying to react to the deliberate devaluation that's going on in Japan and you're right these things are all very um, very linked and we're seeing more and more issues come to the fore and it's going to be difficult to see you know how these play out and how these interact.
0: Um, So some people are making much of this six or seven days in a row of the yuan weakening but we've had a one-way bet for a long time, and that's not a great thing because too many people take advantage of that kind of carry trade. They borrow money cheap, and then they get it into China, and they ride the thing up. So isn't it just prudent by policymakers to say, look, this is not a one-way bet?
1: Well, I, it certainly sent out a, a signal, and you're right. I mean, hedge funds in particular have seen the RMB as being a, a, a one-way bet. I mean, first of all, they've seen it as a fairly stable, um, low-volatility currency which has gradually been you know appreciating sort of over time um, so maybe the PBOC is sending out a signal and, and it, there's two possible reasons I mean the PBOC said yesterday we shouldn 't read too much into um, you know these moves and I think maybe we shouldn 't read too much into the PBOC statement either because clearly their hand is involved in this because every day they create the fixing and they 've been guiding the currency down and maybe one of their concerns is to try and drive some of the speculation out of the property markets because we We know that, um, you know, a lot of this money that goes into China goes into um, sort of property. People tend to, certainly the speculators, don't buy this property on mortgages. What they do is they borrow in Hong Kong dollars and US dollars and bring that money back on shore. So obviously, if if the rate declines, that makes that, uh, that, that purchase more expensive. So maybe this is one way in which they've got to, they're trying to drive out speculators from the property market. But at the same time, they've got to be a little bit careful because they don't want to collapse in the property market. You know, the real estate sector is 18% of China's GDP. So you know, if, if it started to get out of hand, it would have a real impact on the economy as well. So they've got to tread a, you know, a fine line here between you know, trying to manage it, uh, you know, uh, dampen down some of the speculation, but so, not cause a collapse. So you're a
0: little bit of a nervy guy, but uh, hedging that, as I'm sure that you would hedge, uh, you must have some bright spots out there. What are the things that you like at the moment in the global economy and perhaps closer to home?
1: Well, I, I think if you look out here, you know, in in the emerging markets, although there are some concerns, I mean, you know, there's a bit of a split at the moment between emerging markets and developed markets. Developed markets want to create inflation, and in struggling to do so, I mean, in Europe we're almost into outright deflation now. Japan is trying to create a two percent inflation target. Emerging markets have got far too much of it, and in some cases, almost rampant um, inflation at the moment. But despite you know the concerns over um, emerging markets, the valuations are looking very, very com- um, compelling right now. I mean, they're at you know levels where you know, on average, the MSCI emerging market index is trading below 1.5 times book. That's, you know, the lowest it's been for, you know, for a long, long time. So, and the underperformance of emerging markets against developed markets is at extreme levels now. It almost indicates sort of crisis type um, sort of valuations. But, putting aside maybe Ukraine, we don't really have an emerging markets crisis at the moment. Yeah, no,
0: just just some some things to worry about. Uh, One of the bright spots certainly must have been uh, mergers and acquisition uh, activity of late, not so much in China. There's a little bit happening there. But in the West in particular, there's been um, uh, some enormous deals, I think four deals up around $20 billion this year. Uh, And the good thing about it too, which I've harped on a few times on this program, is that not only are the acquiries going up, but the the acquirers are going up. Investors are paying CEOs. They are rewarding CEOs for putting money at risk
1: and, you know, putting it to work. Yeah, and we've seen some huge deals. You know, we've seen you know just recently a number in the social media space. We've seen you know Facebook and WhatsApp. Yeah. We've now seen Line. Um, you know, that seems to be an area in particular that seems to be ripe for these types of deals. As you know, uh, some of the internet companies and, and social media companies try and look at what is the next big thing, and you know, these texting type applications seems to be one of them where we are seeing those deals. And, and you're right, you know, companies are being rewarded for putting cash to work. Work and, and finding you know, productive ways in which they can invest because we know that companies have hoarded huge amounts of cash reserves, particularly in the U.S. over the last couple of years. They've either got to return that to shareholders or they've got to find a way um, to make that money work. Okay, Peter, thank you very much. Uh, stay with us.
0: If you'd like to hear more about the Hong Kong budget, and you may even want to chime in if you've got to go, then uh, fine and dandy. I'd like to uh, say good morning now to Paul Ho, Deputy Chairperson of the Taxation Committee at CPA Australia. Paul, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Great time to look at the Hong Kong economy. And, you know, in our newsroom, they tend to focus on certain things. For instance, we were uh, doing a lot of commentary about uh, the concerns by the financial secretary about long-term uh, uh, changes. And we need to get uh, our long-term finances in gear. But I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, one upbeat uh, uh, note that he made was that growth this year will be between 3 and 4%. That is better than last year. Last year we had 29 Nine percent. The year before it was only one and a half percent. What's your general impression of the FS's budget? Um,
2: I, I think, in, in general, we think um, as as you know, this is his uh, seventh uh, budget. Um, typically, there's been no big surprises each year, but this year, I think um, what we find promising is that he starts to address the um, aging population as well as the challenges uh, that are faced by the Hong Kong economy. Um, But I think he needs to put a concrete timeline in terms of what... Um, he wants to roll out uh, in terms of his initiatives so he he, he needs to action on some of the initiatives quickly Um, I think overall uh, we've also for a long time urged um, uh, the Hong Kong government to really look at and conduct a comprehensive tax uh, review um, of our tax system and and with the hope to expand the tax base because uh, we have been uh, uh, telling the government that uh, our tax base is very narrow, it's very focused on on a few taxes, profits tax, salaries tax, stamp duty. And so this may
0: yeah. be a frustration to some in that we might have expected him yesterday to talk about how with spending on the increase, he can increase revenue and what would be the mode to do so. And he tinkered at it a little bit, but nothing really broad minded.
2: No, no, nothing really broad minded. That came true. Um, Uh, I I think um, we uh, at CP Australia we've been lobbying with the government uh, first of all to to, to look at a um, a tax reform Um, uh, I think GST was uh, tabled before but um, uh, because of various reasons it it didn't really go through but what we suggested to the government is to start with a lighter GST light uh, kind of uh, tax system which is the luxury goods tax so to get Um, people accustomed to uh, a a first indirect tax uh, kind of uh, uh, idea.
0: So how would that luxury tax work then?
2: Um, Primarily we're targeting at Things like jewelries, watches, things are of high end, um, and a a, a rate of three percent. So it doesn't really create a lot of uh, burden on those that can afford the luxury items. And we we predicted that um, with uh, a three percent luxury goods tax on these items, uh, the additional revenue uh, to uh, to the government is around uh, three billion, Hong Kong.
0: So so one of the local economists, uh, kind of dour Scott, uh, writing in the Post today, says that what Hong Kong people are really worried about uh, is poverty, the cost of housing, air pollution, and too many mainland tourists. And he maintains that the FS didn't really move on any of those fronts in particular yesterday. Would you agree with that or would you say he's wrong? Um,
2: I'd I'd, I'd say I'd agree and disagree. Uh, I I, I I think in terms of the uh, rental, in terms of the property, uh, we've seen the uh, buy stamp duty got passed last Saturday. And since then, I think we've seen uh, property transactions uh, volume being stabilised, prices stabilised. So I I think the temporary measures uh, around the stamp duty is
0: taking its effect. When he talks about uh, the need to rein in spending, uh, do you think that, um, you know, especially given the fact that we don't really mark to market with the assets that the government has here? I mean, this is a very, very wealthy government. Look how much the property has gone up in the past two years. You know, they are absolutely swimming in cash. Should they perhaps – if I could ask you both to yeah. take your phones off the table uh just so we don't get that RF interference so your assistant as sure. well, if she could move that down. Uh, yeah. You get my point, though. I mean it's a little bit scaremongering at a time when you've got a government that has its its um, hand on the financial levers that it can pull at any time.
2: Yeah. I, I think um – um I agree with you that we, we've got piles of cash, uh, but I, I think, uh, but looking from the FS perspective... Well, uh, not only
0: piles of cash that we already have, we've got $755 billion uh, of fiscal reserves, but we've got an extra, I think, $600 billion, And then we also just have so many other ways that we can raise cash if we need... Peter, you're, you're nodding your head. you agree <laughs> with that
1: point? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, you know, if you compare Hong Kong to most sort of developed economies, it has, you know, budget surplus year after year compared to deficits you know in, in most other developed countries it tends to anyway underestimate each year in its budget the scale of those um, sort of surpluses and I would have thought maybe you know tax reform is not necessarily its first priority given that it has a system that has over the years maybe not entirely fair but nevertheless has been you know successful and has created you know financial stability for you know a long period of time Paul we've only got about
0: a minute left uh, if you could have had a private chat with uh, the financial secretary uh, just after his address, uh, uh, what would you have told him he should have done? I, th- I think
2: he should have um, really, again, um, echoing on the point I made earlier, um, to really look at the uh, a comprehensive tax review of the Hong Kong tax system, because Hong Kong is in a strong fiscal position right now, and it's easier to, <clears throat> to, to, to conduct a a <clears throat> uh, tax reform while we're in a strong fiscal position.
0: Okay, Paul, thanks very much uh, for joining us here on the program. Paul Ho, Deputy Chairperson of the Taxation Committee, CPA Australia. Money for Nothing. The time, 25 minutes after 8 o'clock. Well, China has overtaken the United States as the largest business-to-consumer e-commerce market in the world, and it is still growing at a very rapid clip. We're joined by James Roy, Associate Principal at China Market Research Group in Shanghai. Good morning, James. morning. Very nice to have you on the program. Uh, We've seen some really aggressive movements of late from companies like Tencent and Alibaba. And looking at WeChat and some of these uh, instant messaging groups after this massive takeover of WhatsApp by Facebook, uh, it does really give one pause for thought. Uh, Our Baidu, and I should mention that I headlined that Baidu expanded its revenue estimates for the next quarter, which is a pretty positive sign. Alibaba and Tencent I mean, they're becoming monsters, are they not?
3: Yes, these are really becoming um, huge companies. So you mentioned WeChat, for example. They've got about 600 million users. That's half of Facebook overall, and I think uh, and uh, uh, similar to WhatsApp, if not if not larger. Um, what, they, but what's going on with WeChat in regard is is an interesting thing because uh, for the first time you're really seeing signs of consumers starting to accept shopping through their mobile devices, and WeChat's playing a really big role in that. Um, Tencent's been very successful recently in incorporating additional services through that platform. So, taxi hailing um, over the New Year spending, they had a clever promotion for uh, for giving your friends you know digital YC packets. Lucky money for the holiday, um, as well as tie-ups with other brands. And that's gotten a lot of people to sign up uh, for their payment platform, which is really a rival to Alibaba's uh, Alipay system. Um,
0: and you know, in selling stuff. in selling the financial products, uh, it would seem there's uh, a lot of upside with that too. Um, these types of financial products, wealth management products that that uh, yield about six, seven percent. Uh, does that put pressure on some of the small to medium sized banks in China? And could somebody be thinking about um, consolidation and how maybe the small to medium sized banks might look good in the market if you think they might get taken out?
3: Uh, yes they, they 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 could they could uh you know look like uh, look like attractive buys um you know with uh wealth management products uh becoming that successful but i think the key story really here um you know with the with the tech with the tech companies we chat and uh, with the ten and uh and alibaba is that this is having kind of an effect on both uh real estate and as well as in the logistics area you see alibaba sp- is spending about $16 billion uh, U.S. dollars to invest in, a, in, its, uh, in expanding its logistics network all over China. Uh, and Tencent's uh, really sort of doing the same thing, tr- trying to get to the point where they can uh, really deliver all the goods that they're selling online to all parts of the country and rather than just the bigger cities.
0: Yeah, there was a deal recently where Tencent uh, bought 10% of China's South City, a logistics company. Uh, how does that, you know, does that pay dividends in the short run or is that more of a longer term bet?
3: it's much more of a longer term bet um you know so so but they they are they're getting more and more traffic uh, through their services, uh, through, through online, because consumers, um, you know, there are a few things. There's greater awareness about pollution, so they're less, they're, they're less interested in going out to spend, uh, to shop outside, outdoors, and they like the convenience of, of shopping at home. So, long term, that, that'll be really good.
0: And how, how um, I just don't have that much time. I just wanted to ask you briefly about something that you alluded to. How much property, how much pressure does this put on property developers in that if more people are buying online, they're not going to the malls?
3: Yeah, it does put some pressure on properties. You know, it puts less of a premium on, on retail space, at least certain retail spaces. There are still good locations, uh, especially really in the, the central, um, you know, city locations, but there's a lot of bad ones as well, and that's going to uh, hurt a lot of property developers. So, for example, in Chengdu, you, uh, in Sichuan province, you saw uh, the, the building of the largest building in the world, which is a huge mega mall out there, and there's hardly anybody going to it.
0: What else are they disrupting?
3: Uh, well, you know, uh, so I, th- I think it's any retailers that have their own uh, store footprint in China, uh, They have, as they expand, there have been a lot of companies from Walmart to, uh, to you know, any, any other type of company who've, expand- who've announced expansion plans to a certain number of stores and might make them rethink those numbers and think about the, their, their mix of brick-and-mortar versus online uh, for, for their points of sale.
0: Okay, James, we'll have to let it go. Thank you very much. James Roy, Associate Principal at China Market Research Group. Markets now, the Nikkei down 50 points, 14,920. We see modest losses around the rest of the region. I didn't mention currencies. The dollar yen, 102.39. That's very little change. The euro, 1.36 U.S. dollars. So that's the euro weaker against the greenback. And uh, the pound sterling now, 12 Hong Kong dollars and 93 cents. You've been listening to Money for Nothing here on Radio 3. A discussion on Backchat coming up next uh, with among the guests, David Webb. And I'm sure he will appreciate this kind of music. (laughs) Stuck in the weather really fast. uh, Easterly airstream affecting us. Mainly cloudy today. Some light rain patches expected. Maximum temperature 24 degrees. The outlook, humid in the morning and at night for the next few days. Just after 8.30, let's get the latest news. Samantha Butler reporting. The Mingpao newspaper has offered a million-dollar reward for information leading to the arrest of those responsible for a vicious chopper attack on its former chief editor, Kevin Lau, yesterday. He's in a critical condition in hospital. Police have found a motorcycle they believe may have been used by the attackers and have released a photo of the two suspects. Veteran journalist Ching Cheung, a member of the newly established Independent Commentators Association, said it was especially worrying that all of Kevin Lau's recent problems seem to have started when he got Ming-Pao involved in a particular investigation.
2: There's two back wounds. Uh, the longest one is 16 centimeter in length, which is very deep and cutting through all the back muscles and going through the intercostal space, entering into left pulmonary catheter.